0: Uh, good morning, how y'all doing? Excellent, you're here, which is fantastic. What a week we've had, huh? Whew. I have grown up in Wisconsin my whole life and I'm like, what is happening? My house is on the market now. Uh, we're excited. Just kidding, that's not true. Uh, but welcome to spring, so this is great. Um, my, Yeah, yeah, cheers for spring, for a day. Um My name is John Anderson. I'm one of the pastors on staff, part of the teaching team here, uh, and it's so great to be with you all. Again, uh, like Adam said, we want to especially welcome those who are here for the first time, whatever reason uh, you're joining us, we're just so glad that you've decided to do that. So thanks for coming. Uh, Let me start off with a story. So when I was in seventh grade, I went through one of the most awkward times of my life. Uh, And I know I'm not alone in seeing that middle school was an awkward time. Can I get an amen on that? Yes, if you are here and you're in middle school, we just want to say we love you. You're awesome. So, uh, but here's the thing. I would make the case that despite the fact that uh, middle school is awkward for most of us, I think I had it harder than most. And here's my case. Uh, as I not only was going through all the typical things like uh, a bad haircut and braces and puberty. Here's my seventh grade class picture. That sweater. I wish it still fit. Um... And those glasses, you can tell like they're always bent, That's, but there's only like two kinds of glasses you could buy back then, so there they are. So I had all of this happening, uh, combined with the fact that I was homeschooled up through sixth grade, and then in seventh grade, I switched to a large public school. And I'm the oldest of all my siblings, and so I had nobody really paving the way, telling me what was about to happen. So with little warning, I was thrust into what is the middle school social and emotional boot camp. And I remember one of my first lessons in fitting in happened early on in seventh grade. Uh, I I was on the bus, and it was early in the year, so it's in the the, uh, fall, and it was warm outside. And for whatever reason, I can still picture like the seat I was sitting on, and for whatever reason, I had my hands up in the air. And that's significant because at that point in my life, I had never worn deodorant before, I never even really thought about it. Like it wasn't a conscious choice. It was just, you know, like hadn't crossed my radar. And so here I am on the bus, arms in the air, and the kid ne- sitting next to me with all the tact of a wonderful middle school student yells out at the top of his lungs, dude, you stink. Do you even know what deodorant is? And I swear every head on the bus turned, including the driver, like just <laughs> what is happening? And as I think back on that moment, and it could not have lasted more than just a few seconds, but as I think back on that moment, I can still feel like the same physical sensation in my body that I felt in that moment. I felt really embarrassed, but not only that, I felt a deep sense of shame. And I'm certain that if we went around the room and we took some time to get to know each other and you had a chance to share your story, that every single one of us would be able to recall different moments in our life where we have experienced and felt shame. And shame is one of these powerful emotions that, if it's it's left unchecked in our lives, has the power to be incredibly destructive to us and to those around us. It's also a universal emotion, and so it's the roadblock that we are going to talk about today. Now, we are finishing up—this is our last week in this series—called Roadblocks, where over the last several weeks, we've been diving into some light, fluffy, easy topics like anger, hurt, fear, and depression— and all these are, these are all universal and very real experiences as human beings that all of us experience in different ways to different degrees at different times. And all of them have it in common that they have the ability to derail us in our relationship with a loving God and also derail us in our relationship with a community of people around us. And so today we're going to tackle our fifth and final roadblock, the roadblock of shame. Now, I grew up in a family where we went to church, uh, you know, pretty much every weekend. And I do not, I cannot recall ever hearing a sermon on shame. And uh, I've been now working in the church uh, for a long time now. And it's, in my experience, it's not something that we talk a lot about within the church. But if you look at the the, uh, topic more broadly or look at the culture more broadly, this is a topic of increasing interest. Here's just one case in point. So in 2010, there was a a little known researcher at at the time. Her name uh, is Brene Brown. And she gave a TED Talk on some of her research on vulnerability and shame. And she shared openly about her own journey with shame and how her research had become deeply personal. And in her own life, in her words rather, she said that her research likely saved her life. And in about a 20, 22-minute talk, she talked openly about her story. And then in a later uh, video that's recorded, she talks about how She was reflecting right after giving that talk and being like, man, if like a thousand people ever watch this or a few hundred people, like my life is going to be over. That video has gone on to be watched over 40 million times. It's launched her career into multiple best-selling books on this very topic of shame. And this is just one example of how an open conversation about shame has struck a nerve with our culture. And so let's have a talk about shame. Now, a good first question to ponder and ask is, what is shame? Because my guess is, if I went around the room here and kind of randomly pulled people and said, hey, give me a definition of shame, we'd actually have a whole bunch of different answers. It's a hard word to pin down. Not only that, but a good question to ask too is, how does it relate to guilt? Is it the same thing? Are they mountains? Are they different? What's going on with that? So helping us just get on the same page, let me just give you the dictionary definition of shame. Here's what it says. Shame is a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming or impropriety. Uh, Brene Brown, using other people's uh, language, so describes shame this way. It's like the swampland of the soul. I love this image, because it's, it's something that's inside of all of us, but we just like we don't want to go there. It's messy. And the, the basic message of shame is this: You are not enough. Now, shame feeds off of our fear of rejection and therefore the natural thing is to drive it into hiding or push it into hiding because we have this conversation in our heads. It's, it goes something like this. If they knew this about me, and it could be, this could be any number of things. If they knew this about me, they would not love me. If they knew this about me, they would not accept me. They would not talk to me. They would not associate with me. And so shame is something that all of us experience, but by the nature of shame, it's something we don't like to talk about. But the less we talk about it, the more power it has over our lives. And so shame can become like a prison where we feel trapped. And because shame is an emotion, it's something that we feel, right? It's not something, it's not a a cognitive thought process that happens. It's a feeling that takes place. And shame and guilt are not the same thing. And to help us kind of see the distinction between the two, uh, I have a couple different like pairings of what guilt is versus what shame is. And this is stolen from somebody else who's much smarter than me, but I found this very helpful in understanding the difference. So let me just share them with you. They'll be up on the screen. So guilt says, I did something wrong. So there's a certain standard. There's a certain thing you're supposed to do and you don't do it. You break the rule uh, and you realize by your actions, you did something wrong. Wrong. Shame, on the other hand, says, I am something wrong. And so guilt is all about our behavior, but shame is about our identity. You see the difference? Here's another one. Guilt cares about my effects on others. Shame cares about how other people see me. And so to experience guilt, we have to have some level of empathy, right? You have to be able to understand that your actions impacted somebody else else otherwise we can't feel guilt but with shame it's all about ourselves it's totally self-centered here's a third one guilt pushes us towards remorse confession and renewal shame on the other hand results in isolation feeling worthless and hurting others so when i get into a fight and i'm uh, with my wife and i'm wrong which is always. And she's here in the service, so you can ask her later and get an amen. Uh, when I realize that and I feel guilty, it leads me to say I'm sorry, and to ask for forgiveness. And if she accepts my apology, it leads to reconciliation and a, a renewal of our relationship. However, when we get in a fight and I feel shame, I just feel like a crappy husband, and I get really defensive and I strike out. You see the difference? Here's a, here's a final one that I think is really helpful. Guilt is a conviction from the Spirit of God. Shame is a tool of evil. So here's where we see this. As you look throughout the Bible, there's numerous different occasions where it's clear that all of us, every single human being throughout all of history, is guilty before a holy God. All of us have fallen short. God is perfect. We are not. And therefore, we are guilty before a holy God. And yet, shame attacks this truth that every single one of us is made in the image of God and therefore is incredibly valuable. But the Bible actually holds both truths up at the same time. It says that every single human being of all time, in all contexts, in all places is made in the image of God and therefore incredibly valuable and at the same exact moment guilty for a holy God. But shame attacks our core identity. Some recent studies have found that there is a high correlation. I find these studies fascinating. A high correlation between shame and depression, addiction, suicide, self-harm, anger, and numerous other negative realities. And here's the truth that I've experienced in the church, unfortunately, is that oftentimes when we experience depression or self-harm or anger, any of those kinds of things, uh, that in the church there's a shame that comes with that. And so you start to just layer, and then you feel shame, and so you feel even more of that, and then you feel even more shame, and it just goes down as this downward cycle. But in the same research, and then again, this is so fascinating, there's also a high correlation, in fact, the same correlation, but in the opposite direction between guilt and those same negative, destructive realities. The research done by Brene Brown and others in this field on shame have found that generally speaking, and this is just kind of a generality, so it's not always the case, but I think it, it can be helpful. Generally speaking, men and women experience shame differently. So the findings are that, that all across the board, everybody experiences shame about to the same degree, but the way in which we experience it is different by gender. So for women, generally speaking, they experience shame through the pressure to do it all, to be perfect at all of it and to make it look easy. Can you relate to this? And so there's, there's cultures of shame for women built up about just about everything, right? There's a shame culture built up around working outside the home or working inside the home or different body types or being married or being single or having kids and being a mom or being the right kind of mom, or not being a mom, or being too pretty, or not pretty enough, and the list goes on and on. And so women are confronted daily with this interconnected and impossible standard that nobody can achieve. And through it all, shame whispers, you're not enough, you're not enough. Now for men, it's a little bit simpler, a little bit more straightforward. For men, it's this basic message that shame tells us. Never appear weak. Don't let anyone ever see you as weak. Whether that's in sports or in your job or at school or at church as a father, as a husband. In no context, let anyone ever see you as weak. And if they do, you're not as much of a man. And shame whispers in your ear, And in both cases, the primary message is the same. You're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not tall enough. You're not thin enough. You're not rich enough. You're not good enough. You're not religious enough. You're not enough. And as we turn to scripture, we actually see, maybe surprisingly, shame in the very first couple pages of the story of the Bible. And so we're going to do a little uh, study on shame together. So take your Bibles and turn to the very first page. So easy to find. Genesis chapter... One. all right and now scan down we're gonna kind of go through a few different chapters kind of quickly here but we'll stay together so chapter one scan down to verse 31 and look at what it says here's what it says in the message version let me just read this God looked over everything he had made it was so good so very good it was evening it was morning Day six. And so God, uh, at the end of creating all things, looks out over his creation and notes that it is very good. Now, I want you to jump forward, probably turn one page, to the end of chapter two and look at what I think at first looks like a pretty strange verse there. uh, Verse 25. Here's what it says. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So at the beginning of the story of the Bible, all was good between God and his creation. And part of that goodness was the fact that the man and the woman were naked and felt no shame. (laughs) Now, first, when we read this verse, I feel like this potentially is a little awkward, right? Like some of you, like your inner middle schoolers coming out and you're like, he said naked. (laughs) And then others of you who are kind of more rule-following types are like, This is not something we should talk about at church. (laughs) So what's going on here? What is verse 25 saying? Well, it's saying this, that Adam and Eve, that they were fully seen by God and each other, and they were fully loved. And isn't this, if we think about it, what every single one of us longs for? To be fully seen, to be fully known, and to be fully loved. But a shame that whispers in our ear, oh, they really knew you, if they knew everything, if they knew that thought, that action, there's no way you would be fully loved. And not long after this scene in the garden, the story takes a a tragic turn and and you may know this. The man and the woman, they break God's command and Adam and Eve, they eat from the tree. And so let's pick up the story and see what happens here. Uh, Probably turn one more page to chapter three and we're gonna go verse seven through 13 together. So here's what happens. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. So this is right after eating from the tree. And they realized they were naked. They were like, whoa, whoa. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I, I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the, the woman you, you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate Okay, so let's just pause here for a second. So there's a lot of incredible rich theology happening in this short story, but there's just a couple things I want to point out specific to shame. And here's what we're going to do for the next couple minutes is I'm uh, going to ask you some questions and I want this to be interactive. Now, I also know the kind of church most of us uh, have created here together. Uh, so you don't have to answer out loud, but I do want you to think about it, okay? You're free to answer out loud too. That's great. So here, So look back at the story. Here's question number one. Do you notice the first thing that the man and the woman do or did once they broke God's command. What's the first thing they do? They hide their bodies, right? And then they try to hide from God. This is exactly how shame works. When we feel shame, our first instinct is to try to hide it from God and from others. And as we do that, it starts to hinder our relationship with God and with others. Now, look back at the story again here, okay? How does God respond to their hiding? Look down at verse 9. How does he respond? He asks a question. He says, where are you? Now, (laughs) this doesn't mean that God didn't know where they were, right? He's not like, oh, man, there was only two of them. (laughs) Like, what if they start having babies? This is going to be chaos. No, 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 God knows exactly where they are. And it's also not how I used to think about this verse, which I used to picture this verse with like foreboding music in the background and God was just coming to like lay down, bring down the hammer, right? Like they've screwed up and he's gonna bring the pain. But no, if you look at the greater text, this becomes clear. His response is one of sadness because he loves them and one of grace because he doesn't wait for them to come to him, but instead he takes the first step towards them and seeks them out. And now as they're talking to one another, look back one last time, how does the couple respond? How do they respond? They blame someone else, right? Sadly, this is something I can relate to. So the man, he really brings his A game um, because he blames God and the woman, right? Look at the text. He's like, God, you made me the woman and she gave me the fruit. I'm clear here. And then the woman's not really that much better because he turns to the woman and the woman's like, it, it, it was the serpent. It wasn't me. But this again is how shame works. When shame is confronted, it blames others and it strikes out often to those who are nearest to us, causing even more pain. Can you imagine how the man and the woman felt as they were hearing this dialogue as the other was blaming each other? And as the man and woman, they start to fall down in this downward spiral, we see God's grace. Check out what happens. This is so incredible. Uh, Skip down to verse 21 in the same chapter. Verse 21, it says this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So something profound is happening here. This is something maybe you've never seen before. What did it take? Think about this. What did it take for God to make garments of skin? the death of an animal, right? This is the first example of a sacrifice made in the Bible. And it's used to cover the man and the woman, to cover their shame. And the sacrifice becomes a foreshadowing of what is to come. And so now we're gonna jump forward several thousand years in the story of the Bible. And Jesus is nearing the climax of his ministry here on earth. He's been betrayed by one of his closest followers, Judas, He's been tried and convicted to be killed by the most horrendous death, death by crucifixion. Now, crucifixion was not only designed to kill a person, it was also designed to publicly shame them. And one of the ways that this was done is that when someone was crucified, they would be stripped naked and put on display for all to see. Now, this is something I think uh, for many of us, it can be easy to miss in the case of Jesus because Uh, the different images throughout history and art and other contexts usually, almost always, uh, show a Jesus with some kind of like partial covering on the cross. And I think uh, this even goes to further the point of even to this day how shameful that is to even think about Jesus naked on the cross. And yet, as you look at all four of the Gospels, the authors make it clear that this was the case for Christ. And as he hung there exposed... And suffering, he took on our sin, our brokenness, and our shame. And he overcame it through his death and resurrection. And in the scene, we see this powerful reversal of the story of Genesis where there's all this parallel imagery. Do you see this? It's so incredible. And he provides a pathway out of shame. And it's through the death of Christ that we're able to experience both forgiveness from our guilt and also freedom from our shame. Each and every one of us, we long to be fully seen, to be fully known for who we are. And in Christ, we are able to find that kind of love. In his letter to the Romans uh, in chapter eight, Paul writes this, and we're actually gonna go through the same text in a couple of weeks here, but here's part of what Paul writes in chapter eight, verse 33. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Here's the answer. It's God who justifies. It's God who makes things right. Who then is the one who condemns? The answer is no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And then goes on to say in verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This is an incredible truth. And so while shame whispers in our ear, you're not enough. The power of the gospel reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And like in the garden, God took the first step. He pursues us Comes towards us. Now, there's a powerful story that illustrates this at the end of the Gospel of John, and this story illustrates God's love overcoming shame. And just to give it a little context, so at the uh, when Jesus was arrested that night, one of his closest friends and followers, Peter, denied even knowing him three different times. And just before that happening, Jesus had had a conversation with Peter, predicting that this very thing would happen. And Peter said, "No way." no way am I going to deny you. Like, I will follow you anywhere. I will even die for you. And then shortly after that conversation, Peter does exactly what Jesus said he would do, and he denies him three times. And in these denials, this devastates Peter. And since this time, Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter has spent time with the risen Lord. But for reasons that we don't fully know, uh, Peter has gone back to his early profession of fishing, And so in this scene, we see that Peter's been fishing all night. And then in the morning, Jesus shows up on the scene, walks up, and they're going to have breakfast together. And this is where we pick up the story. In John 21, starting in verse 15, here's what happens. When they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Likely referring to the catch of fish. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, "Feed my lambs." Again Jesus said, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" He answered, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." And Jesus said, "Take care of my sheep." A third time, he said to him, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, "Do you love me?" And he said, "Lord." You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. As Jesus is asking this question, do you love me three different times? It clearly parallels Peter's three denials. Now we might imagine that this, this scene would have gone down differently, right? That after all that had happened, that Jesus would have walked up and been like, Peter. <laughs> Peter you blew it, man. Like, you were my guy. And then you did that. Like, I still love you, but you've lost your position. Right? This is probably how I would have worked in this scenario, but this is not what happens. Over the course of this conversation, Peter is invited out of shame and back into a full life. And here's the beautiful truth, is that every single one of us is invited out of shame and into a full life. But the ability to experience the full love of God in others takes vulnerability. And I'm gonna be honest with y'all. This is the hard part. This is the part that takes great courage. Because we cannot experience love of God and others without being known. And we can't be known without being vulnerable. Shame tells us that if God really knew us, if other people really knew us, if they knew your thoughts, if they knew that action, if they knew that thing that you did, there is no way they could love you. And yet God does truly know us. He knows our every thought, our every action. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And it says in Romans, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the truth that, for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, this is the truth that we live in. And for those who haven't, who are exploring Christianity and trying to figure out if this is something for you, this is the hope that you are invited into a relationship with a God that knows your past, your present, and your future, and loves you with an infinite and indescribable love. Do we believe this? beyond just like a a, a mental recognition of a fact, do we, in the core of who we are, do we believe this? And do we allow this truth of God's love for us to speak out against the whisper of shame in our ear? Now, as encouraging that is, vulnerability with other people can seem far more difficult, right? Because we are all broken. We hurt each other. This is part of what we do as human beings in relationships sometimes. And the temptation can be, and and I understand this temptation because I've felt this temptation. The temptation can be to say, okay, I get that I need to like deal with my shame, but here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to just kind of work it out between me and God, right? Like God's perfect, I'm not, so we've got this thing going on. I'm just going to work it out there. Here's the problem with that, is that will never lead to the kind of freedom from shame that we long for because we are created for community. We are like a body with many parts, And we need each other. We're like a family. Maybe a messed up family, but a family of brothers and sisters. And to find freedom from our shame, we need to expose it to the truth. And this takes courage. It takes a willingness to risk. And I realize that for some of you, there are some things in your lives as you just even imagine this kind of like bringing out your shame into the light that you're like, there's no way I could do that. And it takes great courage, but it is the only way to find the path towards life and being known and being fully loved. When we are willing to risk and it's received with grace and love, this is where healing begins to happen. Now, there's at least one place here at Door Creek where this kind of courage is being lived out on a regular basis. Uh, a couple of months ago, a, a friend of mine who I get together with occasionally uh, invited me to join him at Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is a support ministry for those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. So it's, you know, pretty all-encompassing invitation. Um, and when he invited me, I'm gonna be honest with y'all, my first, like, emotional response was one of feeling nervous. Because all of a sudden, I had these anxieties starting to bubble to the surface, and I was like, what if people see me going into that meeting? Like, what are they gonna think? Are they going to think, like, I have a big problem? Or, like, people know I work here. Like, I'm a pastor. So when I go in and if somebody asks me, like, why am I here? What am I going to say? And as I'm thinking these thoughts, immediately I felt this conviction from the Holy Spirit saying, John, you are just as much in need of grace as anybody else. And you are saved and made new by the grace of God. And so I went, and that night, I was blessed to bear witness to some of the greatest courage I've ever seen in this church. As people shared stories of their own brokenness and their journey towards recovery. And in this room full of people, they were vulnerable with their own lives in front of other people. And guess what? It was received with grace and with love. And Celebrate Recovery is just one of these groups happening here within our church community that is creating a safe space to come as you are, to know that you are not alone and that you are loved. And we have numerous different support ministries here. And here's the thing, I would strongly encourage you to check them out. Whatever you're going on in your life, there is likely a group for you to connect with. And so you can find out more information by just going to our website. And that way you can stay anonymous if you want to, or uh, we have a wonderful volunteer and staff team behind the welcome desk, and they would love to give you more information about any of these different support ministries. And I want to just be bold and direct with all of you here for a moment. All of us experience shame. You experience shame. And there's no shame in that. And your first instinct, just like mine, when you experience shame, is to try to suppress it, try to hide it. And some of us have become so good at that over the years that we don't even have a clue of how much shame is living right below the surface of our lives and shaping how we see ourselves and seeing the people around us It's shaping our behaviors. But we know it's there whenever we hear this small voice in our head saying, you're not enough. And shame can feel like a prison. But for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, it's a prison with an open door. And you can begin to find freedom from shame as you experience the unconditional love of Christ and love of others. But our experience, uh, to experience that love rather, takes vulnerability. It takes courage to bring our shame out into the open, whereas it loses its power. And so here's what I I just wanna encourage every single one of you. And for those of you who like like an action item, this is your moment, right? Um, I wanna encourage every single one of you in this room to prayerfully consider opening up with at least one other person this week about your experience with shame. And I realize that that is a big ask for some of you. There's some of you that you're like, I am dealing with something that I have never shared with anyone, but it is eating me alive. But I'm afraid if I share this, I'm gonna lose everything. But the courage to bring your shame out in the open is the pathway to being fully seen and fully loved. And so let's pray for each other to be a courageous community. And then if you're someone who is being shared with, if someone is being vulnerable with you this week, please, please, please listen to this part. As they are sharing, please prayerfully create space of love and grace as they're sharing their story. And thank them for being courageous. And here's our hope is that in the beginning, God created a world that was good. It was very good. And the man and the woman were naked. They were vulnerable, and they felt no shame. And it's thanks to God's redemptive power in our lives that we too can be vulnerable and start to experience a taste of this freedom of shame until one day, and that day could be later today. We don't know. Christ will return, and we will be with him always, and he will put an end to shame forever. And so in that hope, let me pray for us. God, we confess, I confess that shame is a really hard topic to talk about. It's uncomfortable. It brings up thoughts and emotions that I don't really want to go there. But I want to confess in faith that I believe that you know our shame you know everything about us and that you love us with a love that we can't even comprehend. And it's in that love that we can find healing both with you and the love that's expressed through your community that is the church. And so I just pray for us as a church, as a, as a family, help us to create space of love and grace for one another where we can find freedom from our shame. In your name. Amen.